0: Now nah, but there's another rocky road mm-hmm. April you
1: Every time I pop my little pill
0: Is it me or did I just lay down and die
1: Little did you know Sarah. Hello, welcome to Prince Track by Track. I'm your host, Dan, and today we're going to be talking about the rest of my life. Uh, not the life, the song. From The Vault, All Friends for Sale. Uh, recorded April 1992 at the Platinum Studios in Melbourne and released on the 24th of August 1999. On the track, you have Prince with his band at the time, which was most of the new power generation from um, Diamonds and Pearls. So you have Michael B, Sonny T, Levi, Tommy Barbarello, Rosie Gaines and the newly joined mpg horns this might be one of the earliest recordings we have with them on it uh, the track itself is a mere one minute 38 and joining me to talk about today is nalm again hello Nile.
0: hello darren uh, i am here to talk about the rest of your life though so like I'm, this is actually an intervention is happening in the mid episode i brought your whole family here we're sitting down like what, what what are you planning to do with the rest of your life What's, what's going on What's what's why what have you spent so much time in this crazy Prince track by track thing when you could be yeah <laughs> dude, you could be tr-
1: trying to get to the moon or anything, dude. You could do anything. I was gonna say the rest of my life for the next year at least is is Prince track by track. Okay. So you know that's fairly clear. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like in terms of uh, like the history of this album, I think it's quite interesting because uh, you know Prince um, in the kind of summer of 1999, he he he'd met with um, the head of Arista mm. um, and they wanted to do. <laughs> they wanted to recreate the success that they had had with um, Supernatural um, by uh, what's the artist's name, Santana? Yeah. Um, like the 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 kind of, you know, combining, you know, a, a, a kind of a, a veteran artist, should we say, <laughs> with younger artists to kind of broaden their appeal and, you know, kind of, you know, sell that to the public. Um, and so Prince started recording songs with Um, You know, with Sheryl Crow, with Eve, with um, the lead singer of No Doubt, whose name escapes me, Gwen Stefani. Uh, (laughs) Um, You know, he had, um, I think Chuck D is on one of the songs. Um, And this was all overseen directly by um, Clive Davis, who was the person who had founded Arista and, you know, who was the head of the label. And, you know, he kind of put this whole deal together the same way he did with the Santana deal. And, you know, Prince was very excited about it. You know, he spent... Um, there's a song actually that was, that's, that, that turns up. This is, this is how complicated Prince's release history gets. There's a song that was released, uh, the year before, almost exactly a year before this album was released, um, called, uh, beautiful strange, which was part of a VHS that Prince put out. And that showed up on a remix album of the album Prince put out in 1999 in 2001. So there's like a three year gap between it being, reco- you know, released as like on a VHS and being on an album. Um, but in between that, you have Rave to the Joy Fantastic, which was released at the end of 1999. Hmm. Obviously, 1999 being a key year for Prince anyway. You know, everyone, you know, that song was re released by both Warners, and then Prince re recorded it himself, and that was also released. So there were competing versions of 1999. Um, And so, you know, there was a lot of kind of interest around Prince towards the end of this year. You know, been a couple of years since he'd released uh, Emancipation. That was a one album deal with EMI, but then EMI collapsed. So most of the promotion for that album was kind of put on the back burner. Um, Prince had released um, a different album in 1998 under the guise of New Power Generation. And he toured that album as part of the New Power Soul Tour. Um, And, you know, he was basically being brought on board by Clive Davis, you know, like I say, with this idea of kind of, redoing you know um what he'd done with santana kind of you know prince would be the the, you know the main artist but you'd have other people who'd be featured and you know there was a lot of kind of build-up to this being released um but warner brothers when when they ended prince's contract a few years before this they actually you know they'd kind of counted the amount of albums you know slightly differently they you know they'd asked prince for six albums he'd given them five albums And they'd counted, you know, um, the B-sides as an album for the purposes of closing off that contract. But in their back pocket, they still had one more album, (laughs) which was called The Vault. Now, Prince had submitted everything for this a few years earlier. He'd submitted the artwork, um, you know, which is why, you you know, you've got got actual proper artwork of, of Prince, you know, sitting on a chair next to some kind of mural. Um, you know he'd submitted the track listing so this was Prince's choice of track listing Um, you know these were the tracks that Prince wanted to kind of take out of the vault and, and put onto this album um, you know some of the tracks that are on here also kind of match up with some of the tracks that were on Crystal Ball, so you know there was kind of almost like a bit of a synergy where if this had come out and then Crystal Ball had come out, it would have been you know forty songs from Prince's vault that would have come out within the space of like six months, and Prince could have you know kind of drawn a line under under everything, but Warner Brothers held this album back, um, and just at the moment you know Prince had a major record label deal in '96, but then he didn't have one until again until 1999. And somebody at Warner Brothers clearly uh, bore a grudge. And they held this album back until Prince had announced his next, you know, proper album with, you know, a record company and everything. And then they decided to release this um, purely to confuse the public as to what, you know, what material was out there by Prince, Um, you know. And like, it's kind of insane that, you know, this record company felt the need to do this. But this is what happened, you know, basically the vault old friends for sale came out. And, you know, it. they also released four singles, including this first track, from this album, <laughs> like, gradually throughout the rest of the year. So by the time the final kind of single was released, um, you know, which, which was actually um, the second track on this album called It's About That Walk, um, Prince was already starting to release singles from his own, you know, album, Raven to the Joy Fantastic. So, you know, if you were a Prince fan, it was a great time because you were getting you know, three Prince albums in the space of 12 months. But if you were the general public, it was kind of confusing because at this point Prince was still a symbol. So seeing an album that said Prince on it, you were then thinking to yourself, well, is this a new album or is this an old yeah. album? What's going on with this album? <laughs> yeah. And it just, it's kind of crazy that like, that—that that is the, the strategy that they chose to take. And to me, it's like, I, like, I, don't, like, I don't know why they felt the need to do it. Um, You know, this album did okay, you know, it it got to number 85 on the Billboard 200, got to number 47 over here, but it was only in for one week. Uh, It spent eight weeks on the the Billboard R&B Top 100, you know, um, so like it did okay, it sold okay. But it's just one of those things where, you know, I mean, it actually kind of, you know, it beat out Raven to the Joy Fantastic. It actually kind of overshadowed the sales of that. So... You know, all they all they succeeded in doing essentially was kind of alienating Prince even more. Yeah, let us imagine
0: though it's been a a dark day in Paisley Park when those numbers came in. <laughs> that's like anyone there like working there is like, oh, just keep out of his way today. You don't, you don't want to know.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the weirdest thing is on the VHS, "Beautiful Strange," which was released on the twenty eighth of August, nineteen ninety eight. Um, you know, Prince in an interview with uh, Melanie Brown of the Spice Girls. Yes, that's correct. Melanie <laughs> Brown of the Spice Girls got to do a half-hour interview with Prince at Paisley Park. Um, you know, uh, during that interview, they talked about record labels and you know record companies and you know. And Prince said, "Yeah, record labels are very useful if you're young and if you're starting out because they they've got a lot of infrastructure and they can help you. But when you're you know a more mature artist." you know, all they're doing is essentially taking a cut and, you know, maybe not helping you as much, you know, maybe because they're promoting younger artists, kind of makes sense so Prince had actually kind of almost you know, tried to kind of build a bridge a little bit and kind of say record companies aren't terrible you know, which, you know, ended up with the Arista deal, but at the same time then Warner Brothers are immediately kind of like trying to prove his point and deliberately kind of, you know, deliberately releasing an album and kind of you know, kind of trying to muddy the waters as to you know what is going on in terms of you know what was going on with prince mm. um you know and straight after *Raves of the joy fantastic i think they released like the very best of prince like about a year after that a, you know which you know they obviously they owned all the prince's back catalog at that point so you know they, they could they really need to kind of try and make some money out of it given that this album didn't actually sell that that much yeah uh, and it is and it is a very short album it's like less than 40 minutes <laughs> for 10 tracks which is you know that's that's quite short considering that the previous two albums Prince have put out of being crystal ball which was 30 tracks long and emancipation which was 36 tracks long <laughs> so you know prince was really kind of putting a lot of material out there so it's funny that kind of warner brothers throw out this kind of like short like album of old material mm. in an attempt to kind of spoil things and you know it kind of worked mm. Um, you know, Prince didn't release an album in the year two thousand. Um, I don't think he even toured in the year two thousand. He basically, yeah, uh, he got married a second time, and you know, he was um, knocking on doors in uh, in the Twin Cities, <laughs> convincing people to become Jehovah's Witnesses. So, I, I guess from from Prince's point of view. You know, he kind of took the high road and, you know, he didn't like after this, there's very few records where where Prince kind of like lashes out against like Warner Brothers. Like up until this point, you know, it's been a subgenre itself in the last kind of three or four years where Prince has had songs where he's talked about, you know, the relationship with Warner Brothers. Yeah. Um, But, you know, this song as well has a very strange history in that, you know, obviously it ends up on this this album. But before that, it was intended to be on the soundtrack for a James L. Brooks film. Yeah, that,
0: that, 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 that was the thing that was that th- this whole story of the film, I'll do anything. Like, I only found this out, like, today. And I was like, this is crazy that I've never heard of this, this film before. Because this whole thing just sounds nuts. Whether it was, yeah, the, uh, James L. Brooks, obviously, you know, war, probably famous, most famous probably now for producing The Simpsons and stuff. But yeah, like uh, that he, you know, he did. Was, was it Broadcast News? Was the other one? that was kind of the, the, the big film? Because that was another Albert Brooks thing.
1: Terms of Endearment won all the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. And then Broadcast News was his follow up, and that kind of. That, that got nominated for a lot of stuff, but it, it didn't win as much yeah, stuff. Yeah, um, but his, yeah. Um, and-
0: but yeah, the fact that like, he was fine to do a full on musical, and then he the, 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 you know they brought in Prince, and it was it Prince, Carol King, and Sinead O'Connor? to do songs for for this film. And then they kind of went and tested it. And it it was such, the reactions were so bad that they went and recut it as just like a normal movie without any musical numbers and just sort of drained the musical elements out of it. I was like, that's, the thing is, that's a very Prince thing to do. I I can imagine him doing that as like, oh yeah, I spent an absolute ton on doing full-on choreographed, like a musical piece of this movie I've made. I decided, no, I'm just cutting that, and it's gone. You're never going to get seeing that again. <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, that, that, that was. I'm assuming the film didn't do too well in the end because, like, I've never, I've never heard. No, of it
1: was, it was a huge, it was a huge flop. It, the budget ended up costing forty million. Yeah, um, which uh, apparently roughly a, a, like a, a third of that was just on reshoots, <laughs> and the the like the level of reshoots in the film was, you know, I mean, basically. They they you know they they spent like they spent like three days just filming reshoots to cover the scenes that they were going to cut out with all the, the songs, and then apparently Brooks spent another seven weeks getting it edited. Um, so <laughs> so, and then you know I mean the fact that it came out like in February nineteen ninety four you know it shows you kind of the level that of kind of um you know like february films generally aren't seen like it, that's generally seen as a bit of a dumping <laughs> ground for film certainly certainly in the 90s it was let's put it like that so in the 90s if your film's coming out in february it means people are like well we don't really care about this film it ended up only making 10 million back as well on 40 million so that is like that is a like a huge kind of like you know flop. The, 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 thing, the thing is though if you pitch this to people
0: now of just saying like. We've got all those cut musical pieces. It's like, would you like to see Nick Nolte and Albert Brooks in a full-blown musical, doing full-blown <laughs> musical numbers written by Prince? Everyone would be like, yes, of course I want to see that. That sounds like that would be amazing to see. Yeah, but it actually is a hell of a cast, too, because, yeah, Nick Nolte, Albert Brooks, uh, Julie Kavner, so that's Marge Simpson. Like You don't usually see her in live action all that often. And uh, yeah. Ian McCallum as well. There, like, must have been. You know, Ian McCallum sort of. He obviously, was worked for years and years and years, but he only seemed to kind of get very famous towards the end of the 90s. It was kind of like Gods and Monsters, and then just like around the corner was Lord of the Rings, and then you got you know and x-men and stuff so then you got ian McKellen. so this would have been well like,
1: i mean x x-men was 2000 and lord of the rings was 2001 yeah. so i think x-men was the one that kind of made it yeah, but yeah, yeah lord, like he had he had both x-men trilogy and lord of the rings trilogy like within the space of like mm. five yeah. years so it
0: was the early 2000s though is when you everyone knew who ian McKellen was whereas like 10 years previously even though he was a working actor a lot of people probably wouldn't have wouldn't know the name but I uh, also look because I have Tracy Olman as well. obviously that's where like the Simpsons came from, the Tracy Olman show. So sort of, you know, it's a very sort of uh, tenuous little links there between you know James L. Brooks, Tracy Olman, Julie Kavner. It's all circling this, uh, this you know the, the the Simpsons there as well. And of course I got to imagine Tracy Ullman in it, though, because she had that music career where she had the, the, the kind of, she had a very successful music career that she just decided to cut short after like one album or something
1: she had she had well she, i mean she still like some of the characters that she does on some of her like more recent shows will be singers yeah so it's not it's not like she fully gave it yeah. up but yeah it's it's weird it's weird to think for, to me tracy ullman it was like a person who was like on a sitcom with french and saunders mm. Like in the early '80s, like that's how I always see. That's how I always see Tracy Ullman. So it's weird to think of her in this position of being like, you know, well known. Yeah. It also had like a young Anne Haitian there as yeah, well, like yeah. a few years before she came big, you know, became big. So it's like it's a it's a really good cast, and uh, this is one of the songs that wasn't actually re-recorded by one of the other cast members though. This is like the other the other. There's a couple of other tracks that are on um, on the vault and they were recorded by, like you say, I think Albert Brooks did one and Nick Nolte did another.
0: I just really wish, though, that it was like Albert Brooks, like, had they recorded, had they planned to put, like, Kiss in this movie, just to get Albert <laughs> Brooks going, like, you don't have to be trying to reach those notes for an entire song. That, that alone would have yeah. been worth, like, no, we have to keep at least this one musical number in the film, because we have to show this to the world, just for the love of God, the people need to see this.
1: I, what's weird, of course, is like part of the plot of I'll do anything concerns a film producer and his new project and um, it being screen tested. (laughs) So like, it's this weird kind of like thing that is like shaped like the thing that it is. Like it's a film that tested poorly. That's about a film that tests poorly. Mm -hmm. So it's just such a weird thing. Um, But yeah, like this, you know, the songs were, most of the other songs were recorded by the cast members. Those versions have never been heard. And, you know, there's been various commentary by, you know, other, um, you know, the kind of like Hans Zimmer was the film's composer. And, you know, there were a couple of other people who worked on the soundtrack. And they've basically said that there's no way that that the version that has the the songs in would ever be released because it would be so expensive. (laughs) And like, particularly like the songs that Prince had done, like you'd have to end up paying like Prince's... um, like his estate so much money that like, it just wouldn't be yeah, worth it. Yeah. And you know, for a film that, for a film that lost 30 million, I don't think anyone's then going to spend more money to release a <laughs> yeah, version it, of it that has songs. I think it's, it
0: sounds like such an intriguing thing. You think there would be like a real cult sort of, you know, that, that there was so much interest in the Jerry Lewis, like, you know, the, the day the clown cried and stuff. And it was always like, no, it's locked away. You, you won't see that until after he's dead, but just any kind of like, you know, sort of cult oddity that sort of, it gains traction on the internet and then eventually they'll release it. Like, you know, the kind of, um, they call the other, like Miami Connection was just like n- nothing, and then it kind of did screenings in the Alamo Draft House, and then eventually Word of Mouth got out, and then got major release. You can get it in Blu-ray and stuff now. But, I th- yeah, that might be why they're just like, they're not even trying with this. you think they could go out the internet. I was like, we could try to make our money back by like building <laughs> Word of Mouth about this weird project where they had to, you know, cut all these Prince songs out of this, you know, this musical with Oliver Brooks in it. And then try to build that up. But yeah, if, it is, if you aren't guaranteed to make that money back, plus you owe an absolute ton to the Prince's estate, it probably is just a, a legitimate, like, we'll just have to cut our ties here and just accept the loss because we're, we're never going to make that back. But it's, uh yeah, it's a, it, it is a tragedy, though, because I would genuinely love to see that footage.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's disappointing because, you know, I think, I don't know that, like, releasing the version with the songs in would perform any better, mm. Um, but I, th- I just—it's just one of those things where you know. Obviously, this is something you found out about today. But as a, as a Prince fan, this is something I've been aware of for like twenty something years. Oh, fair enough. You know the whole, the whole kind of thing of, and and the thing is, this became like a bit of a joke on The Simpsons as well. There's a couple of references to I'll do anything The Simpsons. Oh. Where before it was, where before it was released, there was little, there was you know signs here and there that said I'll do anything. Mm. Um, and you know after it came out there was I don't think I don't think it's it's made explicit but I, it might have been like jokes that they didn't because I've listened to all the commentaries for like the first kind of like ten seasons of Simpsons. So there might be stuff that's on the commentary where they're talking about how they they wanted to make a direct reference to the songs being cut out by doing something with The Simpsons where they they like cut some song like they had a thing where they cut songs out of something. But you know they they like obviously James L. Brooks kind of said no, let's not do that
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh so that's the way with James L. Brooks. I can dish it out but he can't take it But
1: but yeah so I don't know it's it's kind of interesting because like, you know, the the kind of uh, the soundtrack would have consisted of like, there's a couple of, well, in fact, there's even some songs which as well as not being released in the version that's on, uh, you know, I'll do anything, they're unreleased in any version. Mm. So there's a song called Wow, a song called Make Believe, Be My Mirror, um, I Can't Love You Anymore. Those, are you know, the title track, um, I'll Do Anything, those songs were like unreleased um don't talk to strangers appears um prince recorded it and that's on the soundtrack to girl six but there's also a shaka khan version mm. uh you know which I've, d- I've done a bonus episode about that um you know and then there's there's you know uh, my little pill and there is love yeah um which are the two tracks which you know are re-recorded on this album by or the prince versions appear yeah. on the, should i say i should
0: say as well like just um because Because like literally I'd, I'd never heard this song before you asked me to do this episode, and the thing is, before I even knew about anything about I'll do anything as soon as I listened to the song, the, in my head instantly I was like, "Oh, this sounds like this is supposed to be in like a Disney movie or something. Like it sounds like this <laughs> is, I can imagine you know anthropomorphize animals dancing to this and like doing a whole big musical number, and then to find out like or yeah. it's like, oh, at least it will be a musical number in some kid's movie. And I was like, I was, in my yeah. head, like was this like a, a a ditch attempt of Prince to go like, hey, maybe if I start writing stuff like that, they might offer me like a bit, a bit in a, a, a Disney movie. Like, oh, look, I can write songs like that. Hey, look at this. <laughs> but then they actually go and find out like, no, it was actually intended as a, a, a musical, a song for a musical. It's just like, oh, that makes yeah. perfect sense. But it's just weird. It's like in, in, instant you hear it because it's, it's not that it sounds so unlike normal Prince, but it does sound very much like that kind of song like it doesn't sound like a proper that well, it doesn't sound like a proper single but it doesn't it sounds just like you could instantly imagine a whole bunch of people just dancing around in the background and you know <laughs> it, it has that kind of tempo yeah. and sort of vibe about it you know i don't know what it is but it was an instant thing and in my head that clicked as soon as i heard yeah. it anyway
1: i mean it's very kind of like upbeat you know you ha- and it starts with that kind of like that very kind of busy piano um and you know prince kind of coming straight in, saying, don't look now, but the there's another rocky road, yeah. another heavy Y of a much too heavy, heavy load. And again, you get these kind of harmonies on certain words on those lines, um, you know, and he says, but today I'm going to face it because I'm sick of dealing any other way. Nobody said the race was fair, but I'm running just the same. Today, today is the first day of the rest of my life. And I can, I can understand what you say when, you, you know, when you say like a Disney song, because it does sound very kind of like upbeat and... Kind of like someone facing the day and being like, oh, it doesn't matter about, you know, a heavy load on the rocky road. It's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to run the race, you know, like. I kind of got that
0: that, that vibe of like, you know, like Hakuna Matata or something like that. You can imagine this (laughs) being like a midway through like, oh, we're going the end of the second act or something. Or we're beginning of the second act and then all of a sudden the, you know, an inciting incident will happen where... The, the rest of my life, oh, there's trouble brewing and stuff like that, but this is the, the calm before the storm. Something like that, you know.
1: And, you know, like you said, it's a very short song. To me, this actually felt like this was recorded in Australia while Prince was on tour uh, with the MPG. And it feels like, you know, maybe this is, it doesn't feel like a demo that's unfinished. But, you know, the fact that it's like two minutes long or less than two minutes, should I say it does feel like Prince would probably, if, you know, this had been in the film, he probably would have gone back and expanded a little bit more and it wouldn't have ended up, you know, it would have been like a three minute song instead of just like, you know, a minute 48 seconds, Um, you know, and it does, it really, you know, like today is the rest is the first day of the rest of my life is like, that's the entire chorus just that, that line mm. um, and then when we get the second verse which is just don't look now but here comes another heartbreak uh, benefit of the doubt I'll give it control of my life I've got to take because I'm alive and that's enough for me to bust a smile I've arrived <laughs> and now I want to stay for a little while and then of course we go straight into today's the first day of the rest of my life and then he says let's go and we get like a guitar solo in a song that's barely two minutes long um, we have like 20 seconds of it dedicated to a guitar solo um, you know, like close to the end of the song, basically, because then, you know, it, it finishes with just the repetition of today. Today is the first day of the rest of my life. And they do that twice and then it literally just ends. And yeah. and that's it. <laughs> <Like> the, <laughs> the song is gone and you're like, well, OK. <laughs> um, you know, like it, it's it's such a kind of it might be aside, aside from the very first track on Prince's very first album, which I think was like... Um, less than less than 90 seconds this might be like the shortest opening track that prince has done like <laughs> on any album that he's had um,
0: but they, you know they'll, 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 another kind of clue like i i felt anyway that it wasn't quite your your normal prince song in fact you look at those lyrics as well and this it's, it's kind of like where's the references to sex like where where's the <laughs> where's the religious undercurrent like where you know what there's a little, there's a kind of thing of the heartbreak things. Like I guess that's kind of about love, but yeah, it's not say, that's, really that's, got this usual. You know, the most. Yeah, it, it seems like this doesn't seem like, and that now it makes sense. It's like oh, it wasn't written from a naturalistic prince going, I want to write a song. It's more like I have to write a song that fits this certain the, the narrative of, of this film they're making rather than just him going and doing whatever he wants. But there was a little bit again before I knew about it. Like uh, I'll do anything. I had a bit of like oh, this, this, this seems like a very this doesn't seem very prince-like and it's like all all the lyrics are written there's no you know the letter u for you or anything like that it's it's written the way it's supposed to be written and stuff it's
1: so um i mean there's a lot of fours and twos in there though oh
0: (laughs) actually the 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 lyric website i have up just has it written uh oh Oh. uh, yeah it's like you know four is f-f-o-r (laughs) yeah so but i might oh to be fair though yeah maybe in the the actual album uh, if the lyrics are in the, the album covers or something they, yeah if they if they have that then I'll accept that as the as the prince lyrics then
1: <laughs> yeah but i i mean i you know i think i think it's interesting because you know prince also did you know don't talk to strangers there is lonely you know wow um, i'll do anything make believe like all the songs for this soundtrack were mostly recorded while he was on tour um, on the diamonds and pearls tour and i expect that by the time he got home um, you know, if if he knew that the songs were going to be included on the film, then he probably would have, you know, gone and done another pass at them and expanded them or something. But, yeah. you know, the idea was that Prince was demoing the songs and the same way, you know, Sinead O'Connor, Carole King did as well. They were demoing songs that were then going to be sung by members of the cast. Um, and, you know, in this in this particular case... Um, you know, uh, you know, like I'll get into who sung the other songs a- a- as we get to those. Uh, but this, this was never then included in the film. Like th- this is one of the songs where Prince recorded it, gave it to James L. Brooks, and he was like. You know, he didn't end up using it in the final thing, so I guess that's probably why this feels like the the least developed of all the songs that that are from this particular soundtrack. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, that basically never existed. You know, it's a it's a it's a film soundtrack for a film that never ended up having a soundtrack. It's like such a weird kind of thing, um, but yeah, like I, I don't know. The story of I'll Do Anything is is quite funny because, like, I mean, in like ninety four ninety five, that was around the time that I kind of started getting into film and you know buying you know Empire or Um, premiere, you know, like the film magazines and kind of reading up on stuff that, you know, stuff that was happening kind of behind the scenes, Uh, you know, the various announcements of um, Jim Carrey doing the amazing Mr. Limpet or whatever, like films that kind of never ended up getting made and so the story of how like poorly this film Per, you know, performed was kind of one of those. Particularly when, when you consider the fact that you know the next film that James L. Brooks made was as good as it gets, which of course you know won Jack Nicholson an Oscar, and you know, like so, it it was like th- this kind of failure was then followed up with like you know a, a huge success. In yeah. fact, if you take James L. Brooks's film career from Terms of Endearment. To you know, uh, as good as it gets. You've got like a fourteen-year period where he has three clear successful films and one huge flop. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously nobody said that he wouldn't get to make another film again. But it's just one of the, it's one of those kind of interesting things where you're like, you know, um, you know, I I feel like you know, for some other directors, a flop of this size would be the end of their career, but for James L. Brooks, Mm. obviously he gets to make one more film or, you know, a couple more films. The kind of the failure of this then became part of the story of As Good As It Gets. Like the motivation for writing As Good As It Gets and kind of returning to Jack Nicholson and all that kind like was motivated by the fact that this film had failed so badly. And this is one of those films as well where you hear about like the test screenings And that's something that, like, when you start to hear about uh, films that do poorly at test screenings, I feel like the film has already failed. (laughs) Like, (laughs) if that's part of the publicity, you know, you're like, oh, so this is obviously already failed. Like, the film is already, like, if people are already leaking how bad the test screenings are, then you kind of already know this isn't going to be a good film. Yeah. <laughs> I, in fact, the funniest thing is I, you know, for the rest of his career, James R. Brooks should have put put songs into every film he made and then just cut them out afterwards and just kept <laughs> doing that. Like just make that him his thing. Um, you know, like there's a musical, vi- you know, version of How Do You Know somewhere, and mm. that's why the film is so terrible because he's took all the good songs out. Um, but yeah, I, as far as like a Prince song goes, this is such a weird kind. Of, like it sits in such a weird place. Um, you know, it's on this album that essentially was just released as a spoiler from a film that it was never part of, yeah. essentially. <laughs> like, it's it's such a weird place. For me, I mean, I still really enjoy it, so I would say four out of five. Mm. Um, but it's, I can, you know, because I, I still think, you know, the musicality of that particular band, like the Diamonds and Pearls touring band, you know, the band that kind of made Diamonds and Pearls, but with the addition of the MPG horns, to me personally, you know, I feel this is probably one of Prince's best bands. So, I yeah. you know, I really enjoy the song.
0: Yeah, I have to say though, that my only beef with it is just that the, the lyrics are very very generic. But again, I guess yeah, you could say like it, well, it was essentially like a first draft. So like yeah, he probably he might have come and peppered that up a bit. But the the actuals, you know, the instrumentation, the actual song is actually pretty good for what it is. It's like yeah, it's very jaunty. I enjoy it, but, you know, it's short, short and sweet as well. Like you're in and you're out. As like, yeah, it's it's a perfectly. I'd say it's about a four out of five as well. It's just you know nice peppy little energetic thing puts you know busts a smile on your face
1: and uh yeah it's just uh, it's it's decent enough it feels to me like the lyrics were probably something that maybe had been suggested by james l brooks rather than prince yeah that's that's how it feels (laughs) to me like it feels like james l brooks has told prince this is what this film's about and prince has tried to kind of come up with some lyrics that will will kind of that, that can be re, that can be rewritten later. Basically, like, like, a,
0: like a vague like description of the film. It's just, it's just you know it's a downtrodden guy, and he's you know things bad things are happening, but he's trying to keep you know a good outlook on it. It's like that that's it that's all you're giving me. All right, right, I'll
1: write something. <laughs> yeah, I mean some of the other songs like uh, you know my little pill and there is lonely. They they feel slightly more definitive, and I think that's probably because you know they were actually included with the film so I think Prince probably had to go back and you know maybe do another you know like another take of those whereas this just feels like him pitching something to James L. Brooks as if to say you know do you like this song Yeah. and James (laughs) L. Brooks probably going well you know I've got at this point he had like another 10 songs so he's probably like well we've got enough songs we don't need this one but yeah so you know Prince never performed this live you know at this point you know archive material that's being put out as a spoiler is not the kind of stuff that Prince is going to be performing live Um you know like I said Warner Brothers did release this as like a promo single, um, you know, later on in the uh, in the year, although mostly only in Japan. Um, yeah, this particular. I
0: time. Of, I'm assuming there's no attempt. Like, well, if, if they were to do that, though, because Prince isn't going to show up to record a music video for them. So what what no. could they what could they do? It's just like a promotional <laughs> single without a video, pretty much. Which in the nineties would be something would be like, what?
1: You can't. It's, it's, it's
0: the eighties and nineties is the age of the music video.
1: When they say promo, I think they just mean that they're making the track available to play on radio. So, oh, oh know, fair like, enough, fair You enough. know, and and the B side was extraordinary, which is the final track of the album. So,
0: yeah, but, I mean it's 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 extraordinary, but what,
1: what what's the song called? <laughs> uh, perfect. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, you know, with that being the final track as well, I like I like that someone's like, yeah, the A side is the first track of the album, the B side is the last track of the album. <laughs> there you go, that'll do. Like it feels like the minimum amount of effort put into it. Um, but yeah, like it, you know, it, at this point, it was obviously when it was released, it was archived material. Prince, he was never going to end up performing it live. You know, it, essentially it had been rejected like three times over. Um, you know, so by the time it got released, I'm sure Prince was just like, yeah, I don't I don't play that song live. No, I mean it would have been fun to have seen it live, but the Same time, it's you know, it's only a minute and 38 seconds. Like, well, I feel like we said about as much as we can about uh, the rest of my life, uh, yeah. The yep. song, not the life. <laughs> um, so let's go to plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug now? Uh, I'm
0: one of the hosts of uh Bat Minutes. Uh, we go through all of the Batman films from 1989 through up to and including 1997, uh, one minute at a time. We've uh wrapped the entire first season, so we've got all of the 89 movie out, and in September 10th, I believe, is the, the launch date. For Batman Minute returns, so we're we're deeply entrenched in recording that right now. And in the meantime, we actually have some uh, hiatus episodes out, which are covering the three um, sort of narrative films that Prince made, that the uh, you know because he's linked into the Batman quite intrinsically. So yeah, we got that as well. So if you're interested in any of that, uh, just go over to Bat Minutes and you can get in contact with us through Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Just again, it that That's that's us.
1: And you can find us on Facebook at Prince by Track, or on Twitter at PrincePodcast or you can email us, not sure why you would at PrinceTrapbyTrack at gmail.com. Thanks once more for being my guest here, Nile. Oh, anytime there And otherwise, goodbye. Extra.